That's not quite all, folks. The Lane Tunes Podcast. I am your host, Mark Hanlum, joined by, and I'm Jordan Schmidt. And as the, um, as as what I hope is one of the more foremost um, podcast Looney Tunes uh, historians out there, you and I, uh, um, I, I wanted to. We'd like to bring you back to um, a very formative, ancient year um, that, that the likes of which have talked about many times. That really said a lot about the Looney Tunes. And there's a lot of years like this, you know, 1951, 1943, you know, 1962. But we're really going to look at the most ancient and esoteric year that a lot of people living right now really don't remember. And that year is 2004. Um, Oh, man. Wow. (laughs) Ancient shit, right? (laughs) You know, we were eight. There are some... (laughs) Yes, we, uh, I think we just started to know each other back then, I think. (laughs) We were friends by that point. Yeah. Jeez. I'm, uh, the the teacher we had that year, I am still friends with on Facebook. Oh. Oh, he has a life. He has a life, (laughs) all right. He has a life. Oh, it's so much fun. All right. Mm. But yeah, 2004. A very tumultuous year for the Looney Tunes. Oh! <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, very tumultuous. Because there were supposed to be a lot of Looney Tunes things flying around. And because of the failure of Back in Action, which we covered last week, and thank you all for sticking with the several hours of cacophony and ridiculousness that that was. We loved it, but oh my God. Um, <laughs> they decided, you know what, let's just put the kibosh on um, some of this loony stuff. And so a lot of the things planned for 2003 and 2004 did not end up happening, including several different shorts that were planned for theatrical release. And so we're going to be talking about three of the five today. The ones we're going to be covering are Hair and Loathing in Las Vegas, My Generation G-G-Gap, and Duck Dodgers in Attack of the Drones. Yes, and all three of these were worked on during the 2003 calendar year. Uh, they were all, the production was mostly before uh, Back in Action happened, and once the failure happened, they were able to just, you know, finish what they had and... You know, they were all done in, like, DVD releases rather than actual theatrical releases. And um, to the point where a lot of them were honestly dumped on a TV block. I think all five of these actually premiered on television in a block, I think in Teletoon, on March 31st, 2004. I think they all have the same, like, premiere date. Yeah, they do. Um, They also all were on the... Australian only DVD release of Lynn Dude's Back in Action. Yes. At first. Um, they, they were all eventually put onto the Blu-ray release here in America, but the fact that just Australia 
got more Looney Tunes. It is weird. And like of all things, it's just no, it's the Region 3 DVD that gets the new Looney Tunes cartoons. Sorry, America. You've you've demonstrated through your box office that you didn't want Looney Tunes anymore, so nah. You see, I think what it was is um Warner Brothers um trying to basically pay reparations to Australia. They thought after this time, the time had come to say fair's fair, to pay the rent, to pay their share. Uh, <laughs> it's just put it in. <laughs> I'm quoting Midnight Oil, Mark. Uh, oh. oh. <sighs> um, the only latest podcast to needle drop Midnight Oil <laughs> twice! <laughs> It's nice. almost like that one of the hosts is into a lot of weird music or something. Uh, <laughs> all right. But yeah, uh, all of these were released on March 31st, 2014. We want to do our On This Day shit for that uh, now because they all have the same one. Sure. All right. Uh, these were released. Uh, these are all released together. Dropped uh, on television March 31st, 2004. On that day, um, the movie... 13 Going on 30 with Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo was in oh, theaters. It's a good movie. It, yes, it's a very good movie. Uh, also, in the less good, um, uh, the movie The Punisher with Thomas Jane and John Travolta. Uh, of the three Punisher movies, I think it's the worst one. Because uh, even, even Warzone is better than that. Um, number one song in the U.S. was Yeah by Usher. Which, All right, that's yeah. good. Yeah, you know. That's all. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Number one in the UK for some reason. Uh, DJ Casper's Cha Cha Slide, which, um, <laughs> I mean, it's a song I've heard why? far too many times, but why would that chart anywhere? That's like, random as hell. I mean, what I, I read up on it, and what happened was that DJ Casper was becoming big in like Pilates classes in Chicago around this time. And, like, you know, the Bally's gyms would play the cha-cha slide to get people, like, dancing and things. And it turned into that being released worldwide as a single. And while it only went a little bit on the charts in the U.S., it went majorly, like, a number one hit in the U.K. To the point where he even had a number, another hit after that. Like, a number 16 hit. I think it was a cover of Oops Upside Your Head. Um, so it, it's very odd to me that that was able to happen. But yeah, that was on that day. And also WrestleMania 20 happened, but we don't want to talk about that. All right. So I think before we get into things, before we get into things, we should probably talk about the person who was in charge of these cartoons because, um, Larry Doyle, the only credit writer on Looney Back in Action, um, was also given producing role over these cartoons. His mm. previous experience, he ran a lot of Simpson episodes, which he wouldn't be the only Simpsons writer involved with uh, these cartoons. He would also write some Beavis and Butthead, mm. some Rugrats, and an episode of Daria. Mm. So he clearly knew how to write for cartoons. Yeah. He also wrote Duplex. Interesting. Yeah, so he also knows how to write it for people that aren't funny. I don't like Ben Stiller. That's the subtext. 
I don't think he's funny at all. So what's I mean, we'll get into again to your short, Jorn, but um not everybody loved working with him. Yeah. It it seems like from what I'm getting from a lot of these is that he had a different way of working with things. He had a different vision of how they should go. Um, he something there was a lot of production things and a lot of casting things that seem off. A lot of the regular voices aren't in their usual places. It seems like some a lot of things may have happened behind the scenes. And it seems I like a lot think, of people are being held at gunpoint. Yeah. Um, and look, there are people who do good work in these. There are good turns from, you know, people like um, Tress McNeil and Billy West in some points, Jeff Bennett in some points. But I feel like it just, it, it, it wasn't done as well as another, like other more seasoned Looney producers would have done things and would later do things on other Looney productions. Right. So I think he was the wrong guy for the, the position. All right. So let's go into our first short. Hmm. Hair and Loathing in Las Vegas, based off of the tales. Yes, based off of Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. There was some more on when drugs began to take home. Just, just, just imagine that scene from Looney's Back in Action, except instead of Bug singing Viva Las Vegas, it's uh, One Took Over the Line. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we'll get to people. We'll get to Looney characters butchering '70s songs in just a second. <laughs> first, all right. So this is directed by Peter Shin and Bill Cop, written by Chris Hedrick, Bill Cop, and Dan Povenmire. Dan Povenmire? Perry the Dan Povenmire? <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, oh. So, Dan Pottmeyer, a famous co-creator of Phoenix and Ferb, also a seasoned writer on Spongebob, wrote the Campfire Song, Song, Song. Yes, he did. Um, yep. Worked on um, Rock Goes My Life. I said a lot of Nickelodeon time at the time. He somehow was in the writer's room for these shorts. Yeah. Um, and it's very funny how you say the writer's room. Uh, in every one of these cartoons, there is a literal credit that's just the room. Like, instead of saying the writer's room or, like, the animator's room, it's just the room. And it can sit, So the room for all of these, which is basically just a, a room of creatives, um, of just, you know, people spitballing ideas, or just like a, a writer's room before actually going into the actual writing and storyboarding stage. This room consisted of Kyle Baker, Eric Kaplan, Chris Kelly, Bill Kopp, Peggy Nickel, Dan Povenmire, Peter Shin, and John Vitti. Um... And a little combination of these people would actually be in, in charge of cartoons. But out of all of those names, Dan Poppenmeyer's name stands out the most because he had done and would do the most out of all of these people. I mean, there's other like big names. You know, Eric Kaplan did a lot in these. Kyle Baker did a lot of these. John Vitti. But Dan Poppenmeyer stands out the most to contemporary cartoon fans because of all of the work he had done on Phineas and Ferb. And because of and also because he's just one of the great good guy cartoon per personnel in the world right now. He's 
he's had a wonderful uh, Twitter presence. Um, he's, he's very nice on there. Yes, and the director, uh, Peter Shin, worked on Family Guy. Oh, that explains a lot. That's not the only Family Guy connection, yeah. because uh, doing the music for these uh, shorts, they brought in Walter Murphy. Who does the music for Family Guy. That also explains a lot. Yes, because um, no, it's a Vegas um, setting, so... and. And Walter Murphy has done a lot of Vegas send-ups because Seth MacFarlane loves Vegas and the Rat Pack culture. And they loved Vegas. So from the get-go, when the credits are rolling and there's just music playing, it's like, whoops, must have put on Family Guy. Because it's literally... And then the animation starts, mm. and it looks a little bit more like Family Guy. The way I describe the animation, it feels a bit off, mm-hmm. and it also sometimes feels like, um, it will, I think we'll get into these, I don't know how the fuck we would, but um, <laughs> if you remember those Flash cartoons they did oh. in like the early mid 2000s on the Looney Tunes website yeah. it feels sometimes it it honestly feels like that but if they got a budget but not like a fully animated budget but like enough to do fluid enough animation yeah there's something in the movements of a lot of these characters and it, it looks cheaper than usual and yes it's a very telling sign of what a lot of these became. My theory is that this was the last one completed because it. Some of the other ones I didn't have that sort of animation feeling, and I feel like the rug was pulled under these, and they had to just roll this one out as soon yes. as they could. Also, um, some interesting trivia here. Originally, this is according to the Looney Tunes wiki, so we can't be a hundred percent sure, but it seems likely. This short was going to play in front of the Polar Express. Oh, let's get the guys back in here. They just did that one. <laughs> yes. Get Mike and Anthony back in here. They just did yeah, Polar they, Express. Yeah, they literally just got the Polar Express. And yeah. also, I find so funny is that's a movie we both saw in theaters. <laughs> yes. Because of I you. I saw it for my birthday with a bunch of my elementary school friends, including this fella right here. Yeah. And it would have been so cool if we'd gotten a Looney um, short right before them. Because, like, as a kid, that idea of, like, doing, like, a movie theater party, essentially, oh, yeah. blew my fucking mind as a kid. Those like, were so you cool. Can, you can do that? Because, yeah, our local um, movie theater, like, they would they they would do really good movie theater parties. We'd, we'd be able to go and, and start a projection We'd, we'd, we'd go backstage and see what the uh, the trailers looked like. It, it was back when, A, movie theater workers were a little bit better paid, or at least the minimum wage was a little bit, like, not as extravagantly low as it is now. But also, it, it's before... It's before 
we sort of lost the mystique of the movie theater. Because when you grow up, when you're young, the movie theater looks so cool. It's like, oh, these posters on the wall. Oh, yeah. All these, oh, this popcorn. It looks like just this palace. And you get, the, the older you get, the more you realize, oh, it's just another place just like anywhere else. You can see the strings behind it. And yeah. no, it was a great age to do all that. And yeah, we saw Polar Express. And that was really cool. Um, but yeah, no, that, this would have been in front of that. There's a couple of other interesting combinations for some of the other shorts. So our short begins, and we're we're demonstrating Vegas. It's big. It's bright. It digs for oil. And <laughs> we cut over to outside of the Vegas lights as Bugs is just living in this place, and he gets and he stands up and he talks about how he loves being out here in the wilderness with the stars and stuff, but then immediately a casino was dropped on top of him. Yeah. It, it's, it's the opposite of, of the ending to, to um, uh, Scorsese's Casino, where instead of things are falling down, they're all beginning built back up. Yes. So we find out that it's Yosemite Sam's Casino, and yeah. it's kind of building off of what was established in Back in Action, that you know, Sam owns this casino, and he's uh, incredibly corrupt. And the voice of Sam in this... Yeah, it's Jeff Bennett. Which, to be fair, he did it in back in action. Let's be perfectly fair there. Yeah. It's better in back in action? <laughs> yes. I don't know. So, something about this presentation. Like, like it's less Southern. So it, it just feels like a raspy voice instead of being Sam. You know? Yeah. Welcome, friends! Plenty of tables and slots for all! You're all winners in my book, especially you losers. <laughs> but yeah, no, it doesn't work for me. It, it, it's, it's, it's okay. It, it's okay. It, it, it works in some places. It's odd in others, this Jeff Bennett Sam voice. But I do like, I will say, I like this version of Sam as a character, though. Sam is a casino owner. It's really just more thought out than just Sam as a casino owner and back in action. Because here he's, he works as a casino owner because he benefits off the unlucky losers and schmoozes bugs into losing money in his establishment. So this is so Sam. It's more than just Dan, running around and owning something and, and saying, I love this rug. It, it's, it, there's more going on. So Bugs comes in and Sam just gets, you know, Bugs, he'll try, try, come on, gamble a bit. And Bugs like, listen, I don't gamble, it's not my thing. Sam's like, no, no, no. Try this slot machine. It's like the crappiest slot machine ever. It's yeah. like, they're trying going, go ahead. And Bugs wins. Yeah. <laughs> so they get this nice sequence of just Sam trying that, trying to have Bugs give him all his money. Because, you know, he's Sam. And Bugs keeps winning because he's a mm -hmm. rabbit and he has a rabbit's foot. Hence, he always wins. And I love the other uh, sequence at the roulette wheel <laughs> where you know it's like listen just sam just is like put all your money in all the spaces that way you never that way you never lose it. so bugs does that sam throws the the um the the ball down the ball jumps out into sam's throat sam starts choking mm -hmm. gets the ball out the ball hits a a statue of, of like a woman holding grapes so the statue lands over the roulette wheel. All the grapes fall into the roulette wheel, and Bugs wins everything because there's a yes. white ball in each one of the slots. Yes. That um, was funny. That worked. It felt like an Animaniacs joke, right down to Tress McNeil as the dealer. <laughs> Beautiful. I, I, I even love the next gag where um, where Bugs 
pulls down Sam's arm, making them stop, and money just falls out of him. And he just has this alarmed facial expression as his mouth drops and coins drop out. So Bugs just goes up to the, the lady, you know, it's Travis, and she just says, okay, you know, it's... And, like, first she gives us one number, right? Like, two, $297.55, including the $8,042,000,000. It's He won everything. Bugs has completely dried Sam out. <laughs> and Sam only has one quarter. He just goes. He kind of pulls a Mr. Krabs after he realizes that he's not dreaming. And he's like, no, no, this, this, give me that. Hey, man, I was watching that movie. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's not, it's, again, it's. A couple of these are actually very reminiscent of SpongeBob. It's not quite as good as the um, as Mr. Krabs. Like, what's the gag exactly? He he makes them it, unwatch the right, movie. He, yeah, is that well, it? He has to be a good guy because he thinks he yeah. he's in a dream and he's not actually out of the hospital. Right. And then he finds out that he's been awake. He just goes crazy. He takes refills away from the kids. He steals the toys. He's like he he previously let, let someone watch a movie that hasn't come out yet. He just yes. crafts history wine bun and the movie just comes out of the guy's eyes. I love that gag. So there's nothing quite as good as that, although no, which is Sam losing against great. Yeah, no, no. I, I love the fact that like it spells out to us that that, that Bug, the reason Bugs has been winning so much is because he literally has rabbit's feet. It's it's a very it's it's it the fact that it's it comes clear to us now rather than from the beginning of just like well I got these rabbits feet it's 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 a very clever writing tactic yeah so Sam Amelia takes out his pistols and goes goes tries to kill bugs yeah. and then we just see bugs in this swanky luxury hotel suite <laughs> it's a nice detail but he's watching a Wile E. Coyote cartoon on the TV which is very nice very classy and. <laughs> Sam comes in. Okay, I don't know why this reminded me of it, but did this hotel suite remind you of um, the suite from Back to the Future Part 2 at Biff's um, um, hotel? Yeah. A, a bit, right? It did. <laughs> it's just Sam just barges in like, I'm going to kill you. You took all my money. And it's funny because Thomas F. Wilson isn't in this one. He probably could do a good Sam voice. Well, he has some yeah. for it, probably. It's funny because I bring up Tom F. Tom F. Wilson and another one that I cover later. <laughs> He's not in it. It's just that it reminds me of something he was in. So, yes, then we get this nice, like, chaotic energy kind of Bugs and Sam chase yeah. where, you know, um, Bugs runs all the way to the end of a hallway. Sam shoots, but because the hallway is so wide, the bullet just stops. <laughs> like, like it's too much distance. Bugs then jumps out a window, which just happens to be next to a roller coaster. To which Sam runs up, and of course, Drowny runs up. That's when the bullet explodes. <laughs> which okay, sure. I just love how it moves. Yes, like for for some reason, the second half of this moves at an incredibly fast pace, which I love. Yeah. So they do the sequence where. They, they run through all the casinos, and, and Bugs wins a car. I love that. I love him literally, like, knowing he'll win the car, putting it in, dry, gopping in, and just driving away. I love that. And so then Sam just also... I just love... Just, there's so much Sam cursing in this. So, well, it's so it's more much legible Sam cursing. Sam cursing, though. So it's not as funny as usual, but it's still good. It's not as funny, <laughs> but just, like, Sam cursing while he's running up to a 
pirate ship, it, like setting the sails and just chasing after him. And now Sam is is on a boat. Hmm. <laughs> so they, they do this chase, and you now the race out uh, of Las Vegas. I love that as soon as Sam's cannon ball hits the Eiffel Tower, the France flag goes down, a surrender flag goes up. Yep. Even in this one that doesn't even have any scenes in France, they get to, they still get to do a France always surrenders joke. It just fit. So eventually, they get out of Las Vegas, and they go all the way to the Hoover Dam, Yeah, where Bugs is cornered, Sam is just I'm going to kill you now. Like, very <laughs> defiant. I don't know. It's always fun when, like, Sam... Like, there's no, like, pussy flaring around. He's Jimmy just says, and now I'm going to shoot you. That's yeah. nice. Plain obvious. Plain honesty. And eventually Puck just goes, wait! Look at that. And there's a slot machine there. <laughs> because, um, fun fact about, um, about Nevada is that there's like slot machines everywhere. It's in airports. Oh yeah, they're in the airports as well. My uh, my, as we record this, my dad is literally in Vegas, and there are slot machines in the airport. Huh. So, Bugs is like, "Hey, do you have a quarter?" And Sam was like, "Yes, I do, and it's my quarter, so I'm gonna do it." Last thing, so he throws the quarter in, throws it, and just the top goes H. To oh, and listen, as soon as he does, you know what's gonna happen. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> but just he's like, Sam goes, like, I won, I won, as a bunch of water. I just love how he, how he's saying, I won, I won, it gets garbled by the water. <laughs> it's a nice detail, and it just it goes back to the thesis of Sam doesn't need to get blown up, even if he just gets wet, it's funny. That's why high diving hair works. He's not in any pain. He just falls in the water every time, and it's funny. Him getting washed out to sea by the water of the Hoover Dam is funny. Yeah, so we just end with you no know, bugs on top of the Hoover Dam. Gets a phone call, picks it up, and it's just Sam. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It's a great ending. Yeah, and then we end with. Um, Porky saying that's all, folks. A Billy West Porky saying that's all, folks. Yeah. Which we'll get into why that's the case in the, the next, next one. one. So, yeah. Okay, okay. So, at first for me, it was a little rough animation and gag-wise. Mm-hmm. But man, as soon as Sam and Bugs start the chase, things really picked up in the comedy department. It, it just went which I really appreciated. I liked it, I think, earlier than you did. I mean, yes, the animation was a bit simple. I had some issues with that. But I just really liked how the whole thing moved. Like, just, I liked the stuff in this casino with Bugs constantly winning. I liked the exaggeration of that. I love why he was winning, and I love a lot of the chase stuff. And I just love the energy behind this, the writing, the gag mentality, how it just kept slamming and slamming Sam in, like, a minute radius. I love the ending. It's a well-constructed and well-put-together cartoon that just suffers from not being edited, uh, animated as well as some of the older ones. Right. I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 5 anvils. The whole world's gone mad. I'm giving it a 4. That's fine. That's fine. Sure. I'm being generous because I'm not going to be so generous on the next couple. Oh, no, 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 no. As, as we, probably, I probably shouldn't. All right. No. I don't want to be generous on this one. Okay. I want to be mean. I'm going to be really mean. 
This next one is My Generation G -G -G Gap. Um, just the title alone, you know you're in for a fun ride when you're making fun of the stutter right in the title, so people have to say it like that. I'm mad because this is directed by Dan Pavenmeyer. So, a genuinely good creator and a genuinely good cartoon mind, I have to say bad things about. I don't like saying bad things about Dan Pavenmeyer. He's great. I like Phineas and Ferb. I like the things he's worked on. He's a very good writer. But, I mean, he didn't write this. Kyle Baker wrote it. But he's a very good mind. And I don't like that I didn't like this, even if he was behind it. I don't think it's his fault, but... Oh, yeah. So, um, fun fact... This is the first solo Pokey cartoon since Wearing of the Grim. Um, oh. And we were all right is? with that one, but yeah. Oh. This, that's this is the rough. triumphant return for Porky only cartoons. Oh, God. That and makes it worse. To celebrate <laughs> this being Porky's triumphant return, Bob Bergen doesn't fucking voice Porky. Why would you do that? He's your Porky. He's made the character who he is in the 21st century. He's already killing an unduck Dodgers. He's going to voice this character for another 20 years. Why get rid of him? Mark? <laughs> All right. So, folks, we got to tell you a little secret. Um, We know for a fact why Bob Bergen didn't like working on this one. Because he did work on this one. Saw the script, yeah. they did recording sessions, and then Bob left. <laughs> um, how do you put this? Um, Porky Pig knows about our show. Yeah. Um, like, like, we're not joking, like, Porky Pig legitimately knows about this show. Um, he listens. We didn't plan that. He listens to it. Bob Bergen listens to this show. It's weird for yeah. me to say. Yeah. It, oh, it, it's definitely weirder for me to say because um, he literally messaged me while I was as, as at work. <laughs> Just hi, I like I listen to your show. I think it's good. And really, I freaked the hell out because you know you don't usually get Porky Pig DMing you while you're at work. You don't so get I, people uh, who work in the industry that you work that you talk about. You don't get people who are inside. Like loony personnel saying, "Hey, keep up the fantastic work." So it's it's weird for both of us that yeah. that we have people like Bob Bergen who are like, "Hey, yeah. you're doing great." Because we we set on this journey. I mean, we didn't really have any huge delusions of grandeur with where we wanted to end up. We were just okay. Let's start this and see where it goes. And Bob Bergen listens to the podcast and um, occasionally gives us cool little fun facts that we can include in these. Yeah, so, you know, I messaged him saying, hey, I messaged him, like, last week, like, hey, we're doing back in action. Any fun stories about it? He said he didn't have many, but he did have stories about these shorts. <laughs> the ones we're covering right now. So me, I'm like, by all means, go ahead. By all means. <laughs> so, here's what Bob Bergen has to say about these. Um, so, according to Bergen, the producer of these were difficult. Um, he, and that that's why I brought up Larry Doyle. We assume this is Larry Doyle. He doesn't yeah. say who it is, but probably Larry Doyle. He says uh, he wanted him to change the way that Bob played Porky. Which, 
That's not a good sign. If it ain't broke. (laughs) Exactly, if it ain't broke. So, uh, Apollo Patinius, the producer knew that Mel Blanc was sped up doing Porky, which, yeah. So, the producer had Bob listen to old recordings of Mel Blanc's Porky Pig slowed down and then asked Bob to mimic that. And then we're going to speed it up to have it sound as close as possible to Mel Blanc. So a producer literally came to a voice actor who had been playing Porky for a good, what, 15 years, 10, 15 years at that point? It's going, okay, okay, okay. Do it like Bell. Like, like would this producer just like watching Leisure Productions before this going, that Porky's wrong. I can fix this. I can fix Porky. It's like, no, dude, come it on. Need like, to be it, fixed. It's not like, I mean, look. If anything, if if, if the character needs to be fixed, the guy who's been doing it really well for so many, so many odd years isn't the problem. Its problem is how you're using him, and they would actually do a lot better with how they used him. Not only as a foil for Daffy, but as basically a foil for a lot of other people, as well as his own sort of character. They would do this so well in Looney Tunes cartoons and HBO Max. And so, yeah. him to say, in order to fix it, we need to completely rehaul how this voice actor does the character, it's a bit of an egotistical move. Yes. Like, Peter Roundgart doesn't do that. He's like, okay, do the way you're doing, but like we're going to do a lot goofier and a lot more like Tex Avery-ish. And Bob's like, okay, I'll try and fix that, I reckon. But, no, no. So, they do this, and they speed it up, and they listen to the playback, and according to Bob, he sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunk stuttering. Because that's what you want. <laughs> you want Alvin you and the Chipmunks come out of... Um... So... So, <laughs> so Bob, he, he put this for several weeks. He hated the way Porky sounded. Didn't love the scripts. The producer was also very egotistical. <laughs> You think? He's like, it's like, yeah, this is this is how we're doing Looney Tunes. It's gonna be like this. Anytime somebody does that, does that, they're like the villain in a Looney Tunes movie. This is how you're supposed to be done. It's a villain in a Muppet movie too. It's almost like they're really similar products or something. Um, so after one of the sessions, uh, Bob went to his agent's office and said he doesn't want any part of this. Has way too much respect for the characters. That if this is how they're going to take the Looney Tunes, then he wants out. And to which his agent said, he can't quit because they already fired him. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did they already fire him, they replaced him with another Looney voice actor who had already been booted out of one of his roles at that point. And that's Billy West. So now Billy West is doing Porky. Because, sure. Let's see how that works. So, eventually, Bob came back to Looney Tunes. Oh, obviously, yeah. (laughs) Obviously, because... It's not like this represented every Looney Tunes production. There were lots of other things being done in this time. Obviously, Duck Dodgers was being done. He still has a job on that. Um, There were other productions, uh, other games and things, and then eventually Looney Tunes show, so on and so forth. So, him being booted off of this product did not mean the end of him on all the other products because the, all the other productions had different producers, including ones that, exactly. you know, weren't egotistical pieces of shit. Um, so, like, 
he he's still you know he's he's still Porky. He's still you know in a lot of other projects uh, as Porky and as other characters. And yeah. it's proof that not only were these projects not the future of Looney Tunes, but they didn't have a lot of pull on the future of what was going on in the Warner Brothers canon. They were just little things that could have had could have been in theaters, but were not the full direction. Yeah, just like like all this drama, all this inner carnage and shit and what's the end result they get shifted direct to dvd they don't release the theaters the lean tunes remain dorm- dormant for a couple more years until the 2010s so literally look it's look we don't know the alternate reality where these came out in theaters and people loved them or hated them you know there's also that thing into consideration so, but yeah, um, Billy West voices Porky. Catherine Fiore voices Peter Pig, which is a version of Petunia, but it's like his daughter. It, it, one of many decisions I don't understand in this one. Um, uh, it's funny because this cartoon was supposed to be um, in front of the movie A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff, um, but that wouldn't happen. Although I think this is kind of similar to a lot of the stupid teenage angst of uh, Cinderella story. But, oh, yeah. You know. Sure. Okay, so getting into it. Um, first of all, the song under the credits is Mickey by Tony Basil, which is a fun touch. Uh, just a, you know an orchestral version of that. We get into the cartoon. Initial observation. Billy West's Porky doesn't work. Remember a moment my first rock and roll concert. Daddy, this story isn't gonna be lame, is it? Well, okay, okay, Pat. If you need your daddy, I'll be at that donut shop across the street over there. Sounds like a sped-up version of his bugs or his fry. It's very off. It is. Uh, it's clearly just another Billy West voice. It's sped up a little bit too much. He sort of gets the character and what it needs to be, but it's. He's clearly not a good fit for it, and they really should have just, you know, either kept Bob or gotten a new producer that actually knew his shit. The hook of this cartoon is that Porky is taking his daughter to a rock concert, not knowing it's going to be a rock concert rock concert. My guess is he was expecting Steely Dan and got corn. I don't fucking know. <laughs> it really ties into a, a, the whole thing where Porky has become a productive dad kind of deal uh, to a, a rebellious teenage child and is trying and failing to understand this child um, going so far as to um, remove things from you know I feel like we've done this before <laughs> a viewer <laughs> yeah um, you know you know yeah. When a goofy movie, and even an extremely movie, extremely goofy movie, have done this shit better, and you're doing this even four or ten years later, then what are you doing? And it's one of the many things in this that feels like a worse version of something that's already been done by a better cartoon project. So they're at a rock concert, and Porky's like, okay, I'm going to go to the donut shop across the, uh, uh, over there. And as he's watching the TV in the donut shop, he sees that within... However many scenes of him being at the dono shop that Peter Pig is already crowd surfing and it's a raucous rock show and 
this is apparently not to Porky's liking, and so he has to literally go and stop her. I like I, I like the gag. There's a couple good gags in this scene of Porky spitting coffee, running out, and then having more coffee to spit, and then literally decking a TV reporter on the TV and getting in the stadium. <laughs> there's some good stuff there. Uh, but yeah, it's there's a whole middle struggle of Porky trying to get in and the guard being this big tough guy who doesn't let him. And it's just back and forth trying different disguises and trying to get in. And I've seen a better version of this before as well, Mark. And I think you have too. Uh, it's called No Weenies Allowed. <laughs> oh, sh- oh, shit. Which, it, again, that one is where Tom Wilson plays the, the guy from the Salty Spittoon. <laughs> right. Right. So, um... <laughs> Yeah, this is a worse version of that, which had already aired like a year or two years prior. <laughs> so it, it must have been like a coincidence sort of thing, because there's no way to like... But the stuff Porky does in this, like... Yeah, this was at least I liked, because we, we see... We, it's literally a real dollar, a uh, $5 bill, and it's D. Bradley Baker as a very sheepish Lincoln going, Come on, man, just let him in. Yeah, so Porky's about kicked out, and then these two fucking... Fangirls are like, hey, 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 we don't have a tick. You can't let us in. And the guy's like, well, absolutely. Go ahead, ladies. And then just lets him in. And then Porky dresses up as a little girl, like a 40s little child. And just immediately gets him kicked out. There's the scene where he acts like he's a nurse, like a nurse with like, a, like an emergency mm-hmm. as a doctor. And I think that's one of the things that pissed Bob yeah. off. Was that? Because I think it was like a liver or something, like, or or some like dark thing that Porky did in order to get that costume. It's like that that that's it's not it's, <laughs> it's not the right minds are not prevailing so far. Um, eventually, what gets him in is he, he he hitches a ride with a helicopter, complete with Billy West as a skydiving instructor. I love Billy West's voice as the skydiving instructor. Uh, it sounds like a cross between Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Don Baker, if that makes any sense. Um, and of course he, he smashes through the, the, um, top of the arena, lands on stage in a guitar case as a guitarist is smashing guitars. And there is something inherently funny in the guitarist trying to smash guitars, grabbing Porky, and just smashing anything in sight with him. But it hits in most the stupidest type of humor of just breaking things. And you know what else? <laughs> you know what else? It just... I don't know where to put this, but... I think this short hates Porky Pig. You think? Because a lot of the jokes in this, a lot of them, are just... Porky gets electrocuted. Porky gets slammed on. Porky gets, like, it's literally just, we beat the shit out of Porky. Isn't that funny? And it gets to a point where you gotta ask yourself, look, if you just fucking hate the pig, just say so. Yeah. Just tell us. Don't don't try to, like, it, my God. Like, okay, so, so all of these cartoons are like, you know, all, all the new ones for theaters is like, okay, you, were, you gotta do a Bugs cartoon. You gotta do a Daffy cartoon. You gotta do a Tweety and Sylvester cartoon. And somebody up top must have said, you got to do a Porky Pig cartoon. 
and the producer must not have liked Park Porky Pig. And so the writers did what they could, the people in charge did what they could, but you, you could just see the contempt for this character. And it's not a good look for, especially considering this was supposed to be prolonging the relevancy of the Looney Tunes in theaters. It's, yeah, it's just, not a great look. Just putting that, just putting that current at that time visual of like, look at this fucking pig. Isn't he stupid? It's like, no, that that's not the appeal. Like, we like Porky. That's very Family Guy, honestly. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, obviously uh, Porky runs backstage as the security guard barrels in to try and get him. He runs backstage because he thinks he sees PETA going back there. I think it is PETA, but it also there's a, uh, he, it, Porky goes into a, um, costume room and, uh, dresses up as, uh, God, I don't know, somebody from AFI, I think, uh, some weird emo <laughs> mohawked ridiculous looking thing with platform shoes and there's a, there's a gag here where he, he taps on someone's shoulder who looks from behind like PETA saying that she, she's coming home with him. But of course it's just another fan who's obsessed with people like that. Uh, it's, it's a dirtier joke, but it sort of works. And as he's running from the fans, the security guard thinking he's literally a musician rushes him on stage doing a full football run. Uh, instead of getting come up, and that's the end of his arc right there. He doesn't appear again. No, I do like when when like Porky's on stage, spotlight hits him, and just hey, is that Phil Collins? <laughs> I love Phil Collins. Susudio. First of all, it can't be Phil Collins because this guy's standing. Phil Collins has to sit in a chair these days. I'm seeing them live. I know that. Um. It's a very funny gag, but it, again, it comes from a different place from a lot of the other types of humor in this. Owing to the fact that, hey, maybe there was a big writer's room and a lot of different people had their voices heard. And this is like a writer that was coming from a different place as some of the other eight or seven writers in there. And there's incongruence. When you have a big writer's room and everybody gets on the board, there's going to be incongruence. you got to all be on the same page. And it's clear in these, in these that nobody, that not everybody is. So... Uh, what eventually happens is that Porky um, is stuck on stage and has to, you know, rock out. He accidentally um, tips over a glass of water on an amp, electrocutes himself, and the sounds of Porky being electrocuted is a crowd-pleading rock song to these people, which feels like they're ripping off another SpongeBob plot. I just forget, forget which one. I was thinking... More Phineas and Furbesque. Honestly, yeah. Time. It's like gets on stage, like Doofenshmirtz would yes. get on. You know, Pla Plab is controlling me. That's what it feels like. It's Plab is controlling me. Where Doof isn't trying to be music, but due to pair the Plab, but it it's a popular Phineas Ferb moment. Y'all know it, but yeah. But you see that that's the thing. It works better when it's someone who you enjoy getting electrocuted, like Doofenshmirtz. Here, it's, what did Porky do wrong? He wants to protect his daughter. He's out of touch. He doesn't in, really deserve a lot of the torture porn, porn being set upon him. And the end line sucks, because, like, he gets electrocuted, comes up, and it just ends with, like, 
well, the, our, our main plot ends. Yeah. With, um, you know, Petunia being like, Dad, stop embarrassing me. It's the equivalent. That's it? <laughs> it's the equivalent of, like, a, like the end of the Lumberjack song. Where, where Carol Cleveland, after uh, Eric Idle or Michael Palin has admitted all of these things about him, you know, I put a, I he puts on women's clothing and hangs around in bars, but at the very end of it, when even the lumber, other lumberjacks have gone, uh, the other Mounties have gone away, uh, Carol Cleveland says his 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 girl leaves and says, "Oh, and I thought you were so rugged," and just leaves. It's it's an ending like that that could have worked if there, the father daughter relationship was explained better and wasn't a complete ripoff of a goofy movie um and you'd think that would be the end of the cartoon mm-hmm. but it's not because we have this bizarre ending where it leads to an infomercial narrated ironically by bob bergen uh which is porky oh. getting his own album singing cover songs and it's the novelty of cover songs done by a stuttering pig and it's it's played it, it's way differently than a lot of the rest of the cartoon. It's literally just Porky doing cover songs of like "You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet" by Bachman Turbo Road Overdrive or "Changes" by David Bowie. Sue Studio was also in the track. Yes, Sue Sue Studio. That writer uh, wanted to get to Studio in this episode. This would have been really funny, except for the fact that Billy West's Porky sucks. Yes, <laughs> especially singing. Billy West Porky? Yeah, and he doesn't know how to play it to get a laugh. It's it's he's playing it kind of straight. It's so bad. It's so bad. And not even that, but like there's a golden opportunity if you're me and Mark to just include Don't Go Breaking My Heart by Elton John and Kiki D. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned that on the podcast before. I think we have. No, we haven't. I, we might have, but it was just—it was an old. It was something a gag we oh were doing together, god. and it was uh, yeah, the, when we that were was kids. like a fucking and it yeah, was, what if Looney Tunes or American Idol? Yeah, it was Looney Idol yeah. or something, and it was like okay, yeah, exactly. What, exactly. Porky yeah. needs to do horribly. What does he sing? And it's and and it's don't go breaking my heart, and it's a duet, and says so literally just. I wouldn't if I tried. Yeah. <laughs> and so with that, we've we've gone back and forth with that over the years. So and and what's even more heartbreaking about this bit is that as the this is an infomercial and the announcers are so call now. Take your cell phone out in the theater and call right now. Please speak loudly as our operator's hard of hearing. Bad news, buddy. This isn't oh. gonna be in a theater. Oh, poor but, you Bob. Know, at least you know what. At least it's confirmation that these were gonna go to theaters. Yeah. At least it's confirmation this was completed before back at Action Bombed. Yeah. Also, there is a line like it, there, there's so many like text gags in this segment. Like there's something that says like "perfect for funerals." <laughs> Play this at your funeral or what have you. Sure. Okay. Fine. Sure. Uh, so but, yeah this one just felt like it was trying to be too many things at once 
and all of those things had been done before by better people. The Porky trying to protect his daughter from having fun Hark didn't work because he's not as good as Goofy, and also Billy West isn't very good as Porky. The security guard bit didn't work because it wasn't good as SpongeBob's, and it had no payoff. The security guard had no comeuppance. The rock star bit doesn't work because it didn't have a good hook to it. The ending didn't work because it came out of nowhere and it wasn't funny. There are good gags in here and good bits, but it felt like an absolute mess, almost like there were eight or nine different writers in there all trying to get their shit on, and a producer vetoing things like voice actors or actual good ideas, trying to get a good zany product for theaters. It's a big old mess, and it doesn't work on so many points. Look, I, I know that Porky isn't everyone's favorite Looney Tunes character, but he does not deserve all of this. No. There's only one real gag in this. Like, I feel like that last gag with the music CD was the only time this short did a joke that wasn't, what if Porky got tortured? <laughs> For no reason. And yeah, like, pop. Man, pop, pop, it's real. <sighs> you know, it, it's so funny, right? Like, really, just plays a voice center. We're not shitting on Billy West. He's a really good Oh, Billy West actor. is excellent. We like his work. We really he just do. didn't work as but, Porky, oh my God, and I think he knew it. Did not work as Porky, and it's just... Yeah. <sighs> this was not... This is not a good show for Porky, and the fact this is the first Porky short in, like, like 40-something years or what have you, just... That <sighs> sucks, man. That's... That's awful. Um... 1.5 out of 5. Mm. I agree. Yeah, you know, 1.5. Not good, folks. Just not good. Not good. So, all right. So, a little shaky so far. Uh-huh. Let's uh, see if this third one does any better. So, the third one is Duck Dodgers in Attack of the Drones. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Rich Moore, a, a Simpsons writer, also would go on to work at Pixar, uh, written by Eric Kaplan. Yeah. This short was originally going to be released with the Mary-Kate and Ashley teenage starring film New York Minute. One of the many near death knells in the career of Eugene Levy before Shit's Creek happened. Let's see. It was, it's a, uh, 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 it was New York Minute. The Man. Yeah, with Samuel Jackson. Um, all the American Pie sequels. Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Uh, he was... Uh, it, it would take until Shit's Creek until people would stop using him as just the funny, bespectacled guy. Right, so this is the first and so far only time in a Looney Tune short that Daffy Duck is voiced by Jeff Bennett. Yeah. Bennett has voiced Daffy in a commercial for Sprint, hmm. which... Is that the one from last week? I is think it might have been. One? They have been. Oh, shit. It tracks. And would later voice him on the album A Looney Tunes Say Along Christmas. Came out two years later. And before you guys ask, we're probably not going to look at those. No. But what would that be? Do we look like Todd in the Shadows to you? You don't know because we don't know what he looks like. (laughs) Hence, maybe. Um, In the first... 45 seconds of this short, there's a lovely cameo sequence of a bunch of um, of sci-fi figures. A Zoidberg from Futurama, the Great Gazoo, 
a turtle from Battlefield Earth, yeah. an instant Martian from Hairway to the Stars, legally not Stitch. Oh, it's definitely Stitch. It's also legally not Worf as well, and legally not the legally the Great Kazoo because you know Turner, whatever. Well, yeah, yeah. And that's why Zoidberg's here. Why the other Zoidberg? So this, if you look at the credits, this was done. By I believe the same studio who did uh, Simpsons and Futurama. Oh, good. Maybe they can put the show back on the air. It's only going to be another three years. <laughs> For the record, yes, they do get Billy West to do some Toyberg and grunting in this. So, good. I'd I'd be more pissed off if they didn't if they had Zoidberg here and they didn't have him do any line to dialogue as well. You have Billy West. You have Zoidberg. Do a Zoidberg noise. Yep, they they did. They worked on Futurama, hence they had the models, hence that they could have uh, Zoidberg appear. And it looks a lot different than a lot of the other models in this cartoon, I have to say. So they probably yeah. tasted it. They probably just grabbed one from a random episode and threw it in here. All right. So originally, in like a pitch of this cartoon, Yoda was going to be in the sequence, but switched out with the not-quite-Yoda Probably due to copyright. Yeah, it switched out with Billy that. West doing a black voice for the Yodi ripoff. Dodgers, you are the stupidest, most incompetent, undisciplined, partner-killingest stranger on this force. I don't know how I feel about it. Anyway, this begins with an opening crawl, like the Star Wars movies. And you know, and the joke is, because also, also, just, just for, for the kids out there, there was a time where the prequels were bad and nobody liked them. Oh, yeah. Hence, why there's a joke at the beginning where it's like, the Trade Federation and the, the blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, space fight. <laughs> <laughs> look, with the monsters and everything. <laughs> Which, okay, so same studio that made Futurama, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell. Um, <laughs> it, yeah. It looks like Futurama. Like, I'm half expecting the brains to show up as well. <laughs> what really killed the dinosaurs? Me! <laughs> yeah, and just... Also, the aliens look like the Tommyknockers. A little bit. Oh, yeah, oh, no, oh, oh, not the Tommyknockers, the Langoliers. Langoliers. Yeah, they look like the Lumineers as well. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's alien monsters attacking ships and... The Trade Federation of uh, sci-fi uh, alien characters are all worried. Daffy Duck is, is worried as well. Jeff Bennett's Daffy isn't quite as good as Alaski's. It's different. I think closer to D. Bradley Baker's, but not as bad as D. Bradley Baker's. Man, I wouldn't want to get in the way of those guys. Yeah, also, um, I mean... I guess we can get more into animation, but why does this one look the most finished and polished of the three we've seen? I think maybe because it was, like, done earlier and also done by an animation studio that had done Futurama. Yeah, so, like, it, it looks more put together, yeah. a little bit more sharp. Yeah. A, a little more like it could be shown on the big screen yeah. and be good. Exactly. Because that's something to keep in mind when watching these, is that these are going to be put on a Big screen. Yes. So, yeah, I think, like, could this... Because when you're making a short for TV, it's a different mentality than doing a short for theaters. Because, you know, you have to 
There's a lot of people watching a short in a theater versus on TV and what have you. So, why we criticize animation and and the voice acting as such is because you gotta imagine you're in a theater watching this and just going, "Oh, this is shit," or "Oh, this is crap. This is half rushed," or "This is yeah." The the quality audiences can smell out when there isn't good quality animation. Yeah. More more than animation, live action. Yeah. Live action, you can get away with it. Case in point, Transformers, I guess. Mm. Easy blow, but sure. <laughs> Bad animation, you can instantly tell, and that shit doesn't really fly. So, so yeah, so this yeah. one looks really good. No, no, it looks a lot better. And, you know, I mean, and, and honestly, they only have Jeff Bennett and Billy West on here, and they're mostly in areas they can perform accurately. I mean... You know, it, it it works out. Jeff Bennett does have some good lines as, as Daffy, although I, he does go a bit too far on the lisp um, for some of them. The hook here is that, you know, because there's this onslaught of Martians and they're trying to figure out how to defeat them. And there's one Yoda-ish one voiced by Billy West doing a slightly racist accent. And Daffy gets an idea that um, in order to defeat these, he needs robot clones of himself. Uh, so he literally goes to a, a copier downtown and makes a bunch of robot clones, uh, like a hundred of them. It, it, it's a fairly simple setup, and it's, it's a fairly simple cartoon as well. But we do get, um, I mean, honestly, the, the, the clones defeat the aliens pretty simply. I, I mean, we get a newspaper headline um, of, a, you, know, you know, the duck saves the day, and then the sub-headline reads a little... Th- Little things no longer put into perspective, which I like. <laughs> yeah, and Daffy just is doing this speech. He's like, well, y'all did a good work. You're dismissed. And they immediately start rampaging throughout the city. Yeah. There's one robot that does the Navy guy kissing the girl at the World War II ends mo- moment. And I immediately wrote down on my notes, that robot has to be stopped. <laughs> because, literally, he bends the woman over. She walks over, bent over, and there's like two other yeah. women who were also... Like, hey, that robot has to be stopped. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, um, so what you're saying is that um, after being redeployed from combat, uh, a bunch of soldiers are told they don't have to fight anymore. Struggle to not fight and then end up being even more of a hazard to everyday life. Isn't that basically the plot of American Sniper? Is this movie trying to say something about imperialism? (laughs) Maybe? Nah, I think it's just robots go mad. I know, but if I didn't point this out, I'd be doing a bad job. Yeah, so the robots are rampaging. Yeah, as they do. (laughs) Uh, and there's lots of little gags here and there, but it's just lots of, you know, just robots wreaking havoc and beating up an ATM and, you know, the thing, it's lots of quick gags. And eventually Daffy realizes he has to save the day. Um, and there's a nice little Groucho Marx ask a mirror gag with Daffy and one of the robots. And it, it, it's, it's one of the more classic Looney Tunes gags in this where, you know, Daffy's basically, you know, trying to do the same thing the robot's doing, ends up doing a full dance number. The robot shoots away his torso. It's great. Yeah. Also, uh, I just love the um, 
Well, first of all, I love when Daffy is on the uh, on the call with Not Yoda, and Daffy just looks at the robots and goes, "Good rampaging, boys." <laughs> <laughs> just, Completely oblivious. And it's also, also just the moment of a robot lets lets a match, throws into a trash can, walks away, was... and the trash can just screams as that. he lands on the ground. That's great. That's nice. That's great. I like that. <sighs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's lots of more little uh, stuff where, Ga- where Daffy's trying to defeat all the robots and ends up being bad at it. Uh, I-, I liked the rocket gag where Daffy tries to blast off and ends up scraping his face all over the roads, being tailed by like a black line, walking around without a face afterwards, and then getting hit by the rocket again. They do touch on, they do do, like, you know, sort of classic-seeming gags. Yeah, I love the um, the, the lightsaber gag. Yeah, where, where he realizes it comes out in more places. <laughs> it goes through himself, yeah. goes through the... No, it's nice. It's just the line of, stop harassing those kids playing that outdated game or something. It's just like, <laughs> odd line about, like, like why are they playing marbles? <laughs> it's great. The future, what are they doing? The future, where we play marbles all the fucking time. I think it is, there is something very classic about how Daffy defeats the robots, realizing that they want what he wants and traps them in a building marked Fame, Money, and Medals for Studly Space Heroes. <laughs> That's great. And so he thinks he's defeated them all, and then they start cloning themselves. <laughs> Just Daffy going... Who came up with this idea that you should clone yourself? Oh, oh. right. <laughs> which, again, it, it makes it very clear that Daffy's worst enemy is himself, which is a very much a Chuck Jones idea. So the bare bones of this are rooted in the history of the whole thing. Yes, they are. And then just all the robots clone themselves to a point where the clone, the um, copy, not machine, the, the copy building explodes all the robots go everywhere. Daffy's on top of the, of this building. It's just like, well, can't get any worse. And then a female Martian shows up. Randomly. Loving eyes. Randomly. Yeah. And we just ended there. We It reeks of we ran out of ideas. Yeah. It could have just ended with, like, well... I mean, it could have been like... Well, there has to be someone to blame for this, <laughs> or, yeah. or something. I don't know. Again, it, it, it would have, it should have, yeah, it, it should end with Daffy still not realizing that, like, it's all his fault. Um, you know, it would have been more poignant than just like, oh, here's another Martian. Sure, fine, goodbye. Uh, so yeah, um, you know, I actually found this really good. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, Daffy was true to his character, even if Ben and Daffy took, but he used to. The animation held up pretty well. Yeah. You know, the, the, I mean, again, same people did Futurama. So if you can watch a Futurama episode from, from this time and be like, well, it's clearly CG, but it's charming. It's kind of that. And um, I like the gag work. This felt the closest to me to a Looney Tune in terms of the uh, gag work. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has some very good parts, especially Daffy's character. I think this is very true to how Daffy is. It's, it's, it's true to how he was uh, refined by Chuck Jones. 
And this sort of works as a Duck Dodgers thing. The only problem is it pales in comparison to a lot of the Duck Dodgers series episodes from around this time because Daffy has no foil. He doesn't have someone like Porky to sort of like write him in place and then balance him out. It's very much Daffy against the world and Daffy against himself. And that's a good enough concept, but I feel like it should have been refined or tempered in some way. I do think a lot of the gags here are really good. I think that um, doing this as sort of a a study of Daffy as a character is, is really cool. I, I think that there are some good, the way that he defeats the, the robots is really cool. But it, it, it lost steam a little bit. And at the same time, it took a little bit to really get going and find a good hook. And so it's not perfect for me, but it is still pretty good. And on, on the positive side for me. So I'm going to give this a four out of five anvils. Okay, I'm giving it a three out of five anvils. But I still think it's pretty good, though. I just can't help but note some flaws, which is fair. Especially considering the dysfunction mm-hmm. of a lot of the production of these. There's going to be flaws. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Yeah, also, this is a, also, this is a random thing. Um, I, I, I watched this cartoon before we even came up with this episode. So, I've actually seen this one before. Yeah. So, this is me. That's why I didn't mind it as much. Okay. Like, I, I, I've seen it before. So it's fair. Actually. Very fair. All right. Well, um... Why don't we see what uh, the masses have to say about these, even though the masses weren't really supposed to see them to begin with, thanks to WB. Yeah. Well, thanks to YouTube, you can totally find these. Yeah, they're all on HBO Max, too. So Go on HBO Max. They're easy to find. Now they are. Our comment this week is from at Invader Pet, uh, our old friend Brandon. Uh, he says that Attack of the Drones feels like it was a pilot for the Duck Dodgers series. Um, I mean, I think it was produced by a different people than the Duck Dodgers people, and also, I think, like, for later release. So it, I can see why you'd say that, but I don't know if it's completely like that. Not really. I mean, it's it doesn't represent the series at all. It's just another Duck Dodgers cartoon. <sighs> It's, you know, it's it's it, 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 it's the same mindset, but also it's not exactly the show either. The show has different ideas. Um, Brandon also says that it's interesting Daffy's wearing the same uniform from Marvin the Martian in the third dimension. It is very interesting. You know, you know, uh, uh, behind the scenes here, we were going to cover that in our Marvin the Martian episode, but uh, we figured that the movie probably would be more, uh, the movie pitch would be a lot more interesting idea. Yeah, but yeah, that works. is something that exists. It's a uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Uh, I think it's it's like the first three D movie to have two D characters in it or something. Mm. It, it it has like some record or something for three D. Mm, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's it's an interesting little artifact of the time. Brandon also says that uh, it's a better Duck Dodger short than the nineteen eighty short Chuck Jones did. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Mark, you really like this one, so yeah, I think it is. <laughs> yep, absolutely, because I it didn't um, massacre my, my boy Gossamer. So, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh dear, Earthlings. Um, but yeah, no, thank you, Brandon. I hope we did this one justice, because yeah. you know, yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's it's an interesting one. Okay, so our little vacation to the two thousands has overstayed its welcome. Uh, are we going back to the golden age next? Yes, indeed. We're back to the golden age. Hell yeah. For next week, you know, 
The idea of Looney Tunes characters going across the world, that's a bit too big. That's a bit too broad. So what if what if instead they they just we're in America, mm. just fucking around in the United States. So to quote Neil Dyland, we're coming to America. Yes. <laughs> Don't tell me I need to bring him back next week. <laughs> Tonight. So the ones we're covering. <laughs> so the ones we're covering next week yeah. are Mississippi hair, oh. detouring America, and a hair grows in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, of an eclectic mix of bugs against different villains and also different, you know, loony escapades that aren't exactly with the same sort of stock types. I mean, it's not, there's not a Bugs and Sam to be found. There's not a Bugs and Elmer to be found. It's really just a lot of different ideas just strewn across the U.S. And there's a couple of these that are interesting. Um, Mississippi Hair has some bits that have aged interestingly. But, um, no, I think this will be interesting. God damn it. And I get the one that we haven't. (laughs) Why do I keep doing this to myself? It always has to be you, Mark. It always. Okay. I just noticed this, but lately I've been given the short that neither of us have heard of. I just threw in there just because it fits the theme. And once again... I'm covering Detouring America. I forget, so did, were you the one that got burst, Taylor? Was that me? Um, that was me. Oh, so you got burst, Taylor, and it just cursed you for the rest of it. Yeah, it's cursing forever. Oh, God. All right. That's, that's, that's I love how fun. that's become one of our most endearing running gags of just us going. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of this week's show. If you'd like to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Halem, 1995. And you can find me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast or give your thoughts for next week's episode, you can follow at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find our podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Player FM, Anchor, Stitcher, uh, 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 Amazon Music. Um, we are also on... Um, hmm, I can't think of another one, so end the fucking show. We're going to burn this thing down like a house. Burn. Burn down the mission. If we're going to stay alive. All right. Talk to you next week. I'm And I'm Jordan. And remember. I'm a ball, ball. <laughs> <laughs>